Maybe there should be a COVID Barbie. A COVID. <laughs> a, like a pandemic. Yeah, maybe. Maybe there should be a CDC Barbie. Yes, a CDC Barbie. And she's wearing her mask. That's right. And she's got like, you know, she's doing some like scientific stuff. Welcome to Pediatrics Now, cases, updates, and discussions for the busy practitioner. I'm your host, Holly Waymont. I work for UT Health San Antonio's Department of Pediatrics. In this podcast, we explore how we can provide the best, most cutting-edge, compassionate care for children. We hope to give you a unique and behind-the-scenes edge from our expert guests. After listening, click on the link on this podcast for free credit that may include CME, MOC, or ethics credit, depending on the topic or podcast. Today, we're talking about COVID in kids. What does it mean right now? Joining us back today on the show is pediatric infectious disease, Dr. Tess Barton. Tess, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Holly. It's good to, good to talk with you again. So are you in University Hospital right now? I, I should have mentioned you are a pediatric infectious disease doctor for UT Health San Antonio and University Hospital. That's correct. And yes, I am at the hospital right now. So is COVID in children the number one virus right now? Yep. Once again, um, COVID is is on the rise for the past several weeks. And um, I know that the hospital uh, keeps track of which viruses are, you know, are positive um, in the various virus tests that we do. And, um, and for the past several weeks, COVID has been the number one virus um, and continuing and continuing to rise. So here in San Antonio, we're in a surge. It has increased 400%. Yeah. So it's funny. Like I think people are avoiding using the word surge, but it's def. Yeah, it's definitely increasing. I mean, I think we're definitely surging to some degree. It's a it's a little bit difficult when you go like to the Bear County website dashboard, for instance. You know, you just looks like there's this little blip on the way up because it includes you know, sort of big mega surges that we previously had. Um, so the scale is off, but yeah, we're we're up uh, considerably, even like each week, really, our numbers are at least doubling. Definitely circulating in our community. It's definitely getting people sick. We've seen children and certainly adults being hospitalized with COVID um, over the past few weeks. It means that a lot of pediatricians are gonna be seeing COVID in their office. And it means that a lot of people who feel like they have summer colds or allergies or those things might actually have COVID and be spreading it. What advice do you have for pediatric practitioners in their clinics, say a 10-year-old child just tested positive for COVID? So, you know, the, the management of COVID and the screening for COVID hasn't really changed that much um, as far as what, what we suggest. And I think pediatricians are pretty savvy now with with what to do. So in in the case that you mentioned, a 10-year-old who who tests positive for COVID, for the most part, is going to make it through that illness with just sort of a regular flu-like illness um, and not likely to have, you know, a lot of complications of it, unless they're a child who has, you know, asthma or um, you know, or cardiac disease or some other, some other lung disease, things like that, that might, that might increase their risk of having a complication of COVID. 
Um, but they are going to spread it, right? So the, you know, so the the recommendation is still if you test positive for COVID to to isolate. Now a 10-year-old's not going to really be able to isolate from their family or anything like that, but they should definitely be out of school for a few days until until their symptoms have subsided. The CDC still recommends this sort of five-day, five-day, you know, isolation period where you don't go to work or school and you wear a mask if you're around other people. And that's still the recommendation. So I find it's really complicated. So they have, so the, you know, as far as like understanding what it is that you're supposed to do. And I often refer people to the CDC isolation calculator website because it, um, you know, it you can like input your dates and it will sort of tell you at this date you can stop wearing your mask or this date you can take a test. So yes, you can, um, the recommendation is for five days from the time of your first symptom onset, um, that you should isolate and wear a mask. You should test at five days. And if you test negative, then you are fine to return to your school or work or whatever activities, but continue to mask um, for 10 days or until you have two negative tests, at least 48 hours apart. It's a lot of little rules, um, but that's that's the general guidance. I think if most people just remember, you know, five days, I wear, I isolate, 10 days, I wear a mask, and then I'm done, that, that's probably sufficient. Do you think a lot of people are looking at it, especially in children, just like another cold? And is that the right way to look at it in a way, or is that totally wrong? <laughs> uh, this is a great question. I So yes, I think, I think a lot of people are looking at it as just like any other virus or any other cold. Um, and I think it actually is worth a philosophical debate among healthcare providers and public health officials if that's the approach that we should take. I, and I don't know the right answer. I, I know that, you know, certainly even among other physicians um, that I've, you know, some of us, um, like I just recently had COVID and, um, and so I did my five days, you know, isolating at work. I did my testing. I tested every 48 hours to make sure that I was remaining negative so that I didn't infect the people that I was around because I was doing a uh, summer camp activity and I didn't want to, I didn't want to infect anyone. Um, but I also had other physicians there who, you know, they didn't, they were like, well, I felt fine. So I didn't bother testing again. Um, you know, oh, I'm not, I'm, I wore my mask when we were inside, but, um, but when I got home, I stopped wearing my mask. So I, I do think that people are beginning to sort of move away from thinking about COVID as sort of a special circumstance virus, you know, the sort of pandemic virus and, and on to, more like they would treat influenza or even just a regular coronavirus. And there's good and bad things about doing that. Because, for example, my children, if, well, if any of us had any respiratory virus, we wouldn't go to my parents' house for dinner if who are elderly. So it's kind of, we would follow the same protocol. Well, I would hope so. I so, mean, you know, you know that traditionally people are like, they they go to work sick 
Mm -hmm. right? They go to school sick. They know that they have a virus. I mean, how many times have you had like, well, I didn't feel well. I had a fever. I was coughing. I had a runny nose or a sore throat. I tested for COVID. I tested negative. So I went ahead and went to work or school. Like you had some other virus. You just didn't have that one. Right. It's still worth staying <laughs> um, away from others because I think that's a lot too. Like don't I worry. Ideally, yes. I mean, obviously not everybody has the luxury of doing that, you know, and people have to earn a living and, you know, take their final exams and things like that. But um, or or, you know, people don't want to reschedule their clinic patients. This is the problem for doctors is that if you're in clinic and you have a, a schedule full of patients and you're like, oh, it's it's going to be, you know, they've been waiting for weeks to see me. And now I, you know, I'm going to call in sick and have to reschedule everybody. And that's bad patient care. But on the other hand, like it's bad patient care for me to infect my patients. Exactly. That's a great point. Uh, and I want to hear about Barbie, uh, the Barbie <laughs> convention in a second. But I, is there any worry or chance that COVID has changed like this fall? It could there could be something worse about it or is it a lot milder in general or is it just hard to say? I think it's hard to say, you know. Overall, the trend that we've seen is that as variant after variant after variant has popped up, those variants have been, you know, very highly transmissible. They've been able to evade pre-existing immunity from either vaccines or previous infections, but they have been less severe. And so, you know, the case fatality rate for COVID infections is way, way, way down. Um, so I think the most recent kind of review of the case fatality rate um, is about 0.3%. Um, so that's 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 much, much lower than it was, you know, in 2020, um, by about 10 times lower than it was in 2020. Um, and it's pretty similar to what we see with influenza. Having said that, people, I mean, influenza and COVID are, you know, deadly virus for thousands of people um, each year. So, um, you know, they're not, it's not that they're like nothing viruses. They're, they're still serious. And, you know, COVID still can result in long COVID and, and pulmonary emboli and other complications. Um, but overall, we are seeing it kind of behaving a lot more like a regular cold or a regular flu. But you are seeing children in the hospital who are really sick with it. Um, yeah, I mean, we're not so many, but we, yes, we have, we have a few and we have kids who are admitted with COVID. We have lots of, we have lots of kids who have like a very flu-like illness with high fever and body aches and headaches and really feeling wiped out. Um, that's, that's the latest variant, you know, that I'm assuming is Omicron variant. Maybe it's this new EG5 Eris variant. I, I don't know, but, um, it, you know, it's definitely flu-ish. And of those few kids, are you, do they have underlying conditions? Yeah, for the most part, yes. Are you recommending that kids and adults get vaccinated this fall? Um, I am. Absolutely. I think, you know, if you have an opportunity to use your own immune system to protect you from something and to keep you 
overall feeling healthier and feeling well, we should we should totally do that. Um, there is a new version of COVID of a bivalent vaccine coming out shortly um, to try to provide better protection against more recent variants because the original Omicron variant is gone, right? So the that which was included in the bivalent vaccine. So, you know, I think that the the vaccine manufacturers are being smart about adjusting the vaccine based on what's circulating. Um, and I think that, you know, when, when that's available, I am 100% going to go get another booster. Um, and I think that people, you know, just like I recommend a flu shot every year, I recommend a COVID shot. And for kids too, and in pediatric clinics, if you can offer the flu shot and the COVID vaccine, that's ideal. Absolutely. Tell us about this Barbie convention. You just <laughs> back recently and you got COVID there. Right? I did, I did. You know, it's like Barbie mania everywhere um, right now. So yeah, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Barbie collector and I, um, for many years, I, I go to the, National Barbie Doll Collectors Convention. Um, and last year I went to the Barbie convention in July and got COVID for the first time from, you know, being around, being inside a convention, you know, hotel space with 800 other people. And uh, the same thing again this year. So I went to the Barbie convention. It had been about a year since my last, you know, booster dose of 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 vaccine and um and lo and behold there was another variant going around and i got covid once again from my fellow barbie lovers wow where is the convention it moves around so this year it was in orlando yeah so how long have you been collecting barbie dolls (laughs) um i guess officially since 1993 um, I bought myself a Barbie when I graduated from college and um, as an adult and uh, and then started started them. I, I loved Barbie when I was little. And, you know, when I turned into a teenager, I was like, oh, I'm too old for that. And I sold them all at a garage sale for like twenty five dollars or something. And of course, regretted it the instant that I did that. But it was too cool to, you know, admit that I liked Barbie still. So as an adult, it was suddenly OK to like Barbie again. <laughs> so what did you think of the movie? I'm assuming you've seen it. I did see it. I thought it was great. I mm-hmm. thought, um, you know, I thought it was a, gave a lot of uh, positive kind of affirming messages for girls and women. And I think it also actually gave a lot of um, positive and affirming messages for men and for boys who like Barbie and um, I think it's a, I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a goofy movie with, with kind of a big message and I, I liked it. I thought it was really fun and I agree. It had a, a great message. I, I have an identical twin sister and when we were growing up, we played with Barbies, but I was always Ken for some reason. <laughs> I never, shouldn't I be Barbie sometimes too? I never stood up for myself, but it was just a given. So I well, yeah, why, why weren't you, why weren't you PJ? I don't know. It was always Ken. I just thought that was my lot in life as a child. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow, but I think it had positive effects, you know, like I got to, I, this Ken was strong and brave. I didn't know that the Ken, you know, was like 
the character isn't that way. Yeah, I thought I thought that they were. I mean, I think the way they treated the Ken character was great. Like, you know, he was like Ken is always sort of secondary to Barbie, and I think you know the the ending, the end message of like Ken needs to sort of find himself, and like, what is he standing on his own? not as a reflection of Barbie, but as things that he likes. And he's obviously a horse guy. Like he obviously likes horses. Like yes. he should totally harness that. Uh. And too, I ride horses. Look at this. <laughs> <laughs> so Tess, you, but so at the convention, you find out you test positive. Then what do you do? You, cause you were able to avoid an outbreak when you headed to summer camp after that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I was, I was very, I was, I was um, really concerned about going to the Barbie convention uh, two weeks before I had to go to summer camp because I was like, I can't get COVID because I've got to get to camp. And so luckily the timing sort of worked out that I, um, you know, got, I caught COVID. I tested I tested negative while I was still at convention, but but was you know very vigilantly masking, and I and um, basically just went to the big events um, because you have to in order to get like the goodies that they give you, but um, but otherwise sort of stayed away from that stuff, and then um, isolated away from my family as soon as I got home. I didn't even go home. It was went to like an Airbnb and um and then and then started testing positive. I um when my at the fifth day I did my test and um and there was still kind of a faint positive so I continued to mask and stayed away from my family. And then um, I went to my summer camp. So the first first day of summer camp, there's no kids there. It's it's the adults sort of setting up, and and then tested negative there, but kept myself in an isolation cabin away from my medical staff. Um, and you know, we for the summer camp, we we I think we did a good job at summer camp. You know, we had a whole system where everybody got tested the weekend before camp started, all campers and all staff. So everybody had to have a negative test before they arrived at the campground. And then um, and then while we were there, about three days in three days into camp, um, a couple of the staff felt like their allergies were a little bit more than they normally were. So they tested and they tested positive and we immediately sort of separated them, pulled them into the isolation cabin and then did a series of tests of basically anybody that they rode the bus with. Um, We identified one camper who tested positive, who was on their bus, but everybody else tested negative. We tested that camper's entire cabin and they all tested negative. We pulled that camper into our isolation cabin with the staff and um, created a little, it was just one day left of camp, created a little, you know, isolation camp activities for, for that camper with, you know, like playing in the sprinklers, sprinkler frisbee and lots of arts and crafts and things like that, that, that would still be fun, but not around the other campers. And I just checked in, 
um, with the remaining, with the staff um, and the doctors of the campers who had been exposed and nobody else tested positive. So I think that we, you know, managed to, to, to get by really well with, you know, in a, in a, summer camp situation with people staying in very full cabins um, with no secondary cases. I think they all came from that one bus. And you were working as a, a counselor at a camp for children with HIV? That's right. So I, I volunteer every summer at a, at a, at a camp, a week-long, you know, sleepaway summer camp for kids with HIV infection. I've been doing that for 19 years. And that's in Brenham. Yeah, it's, I think it's in Burton. Technically, it's at a it's at a campground called uh, Camp for All, uh, which is a fantastic campground. That's amazing that you do that, and I know you're you're passionate about helping adolescents with HIV. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I so I spent um, about ten years being the medical director of the pediatric and young adult HIV program in Dallas before moving on to the HIV program in Houston and now and now I'm here. So as you know, as a as a doctor doing infectious disease, everybody sort of has their niche or their specialty and HIV has long been my specialty. Um, this is HIV in children is um, is one of our major success stories of of you know 20th and 21st century medicine. Um, we very, very effectively prevent children from becoming infected with infected with that virus um, from their mothers, like mother to child transmission. Um, it's extremely rare. And so now most of um, most of the people in the pediatric age group who get HIV are are adolescents um, who are engaging in, you know, in risky sexual activities and um, and so they're, you know, they're kind of a real special population that um, a lot of people don't really, you know, don't get or have a difficult time with adolescents. But I think they're fantastic. And, um, you know, I, I, I think they're, you know, it's always really fun to kind of get to know, you know, try to get inside the head of the sassy adolescent. Um, it, it's people who people who like, you know, dealing with teenagers that un understand. And most people don't like dealing with teenagers, but, but <laughs> if you like them, you totally get why you like them. <laughs> I just can't imagine how hard life can be as a teenager having HIV. Yeah, I mean, being a teenager is really hard for everybody who's a teenager, oh. right? Like you've got so much stuff that's, that's going on. And, and just to have that, kind of extra baggage that you're dragging around it really you know you you really have to 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 feel for them you know having to deal with that and and learning learning how to accept that you know I mean half of being a teenager is learning to accept yourself and who you are and um and being able to accept that in the context of something that other people will stigmatize you for um is 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 really a challenge. They really have to develop some significant resilience. Um, and at this camp, they can just be teenagers and have fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The camp, the camp is great. So the camp is, um, yeah. The the camp, you know, if you've been to a, if you've been to a summer camp, that is 
um, you know, very positive and affirming, then, then, you know, like how it's really all about like building, building your confidence, um, building your belief in yourself, kind of challenging yourself to be a little bit uncomfortable with doing things that you think are kind of scary, like a zip line. Um, but then when you've done it, you feel so great. And, and so first of all, we, we don't, um, the teenagers do do a teen talk session where there's, you know, where there's, they discuss some things that are related to HIV and dealing with other people and healthy relationships and things like that. But for the most part, camp, camp is not about having HIV at all. Camp is about, you know, archery and canoes and, and rock climbing and, and, and arts and crafts and all of that, but everybody takes their medicine together. So it like normalizes the medication taking part of your life. Um, and it's really, uh, it's really such a fun experience. Mm. It sounds wonderful. It is HIV on the rise in teenagers. Um, HIV is pretty stable in teenagers, I'll say. Like, it's definitely not going away. Um, you know, we, teenagers are still getting infected, um, both, both boys and girls. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of other STDs that are circulating, chlamydia and gonorrhea and syphilis. And so the same way that teenagers get those diseases is the same way that they get HIV. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, I, it, it just continues. It's not going away. So back to the Barbie convention, though. Do you feel like your love of Barbie, did that inspire you to become a doctor? Or how did, what did Barbie mean to you on a personal level? So I don't, I don't, I can't say that Barbie inspired me to become a doctor, but I will, I will say that, you know, growing up as a, as a, a girl who liked to play with Barbie, you know, Barbie is a, Barbie is a powerful woman, right? So Barbie, whether, whether you define that as having all the stuff, like all the clothes and the cars and the dream house and, you know, all those things. So, you know, if you're, if you aspire to materialistic things, like Barbie's a role model for that. But Barbie also, you know, is a, is a, has had like every career possible. Um, she owns her own stuff. She's independent, right? She, she, it's her car and it's her dream house. Um, you know, she doesn't rely on other, other people for her, you know, for the things that she's achieved. Um, and so I, I do think in, in that way, Barbie is, is, is inspiring. And, and, and lately, you know, they've really, they've really expanded the repertoire of what Barbie looks like. So that, you know, it's not just like the blonde Barbie and mm -hmm. then her like one black friend or one brunette friend or something like that, which is sort of how it it was, you know, in the in the 70s. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Barbie, there's curvy Barbie, there's short Barbie, there's Barbie in wheelchair, there's Barbie with vitiligo, there's Down syndrome Barbie. Like, there's, uh -huh. you know, there, there's, there's Barbies, you know, 
they, that appeal that like American girl dolls have where you could get a doll that looks like you, you could totally get a Barbie that looks like you. Mm-hmm. And, and at the convention, do people trade Barbies or what? Do oh, people- yeah. I mean, you know, the, the convention is um, people, people sell Barbies, people trade Barbies, people play with Barbies, right? They have, they set up, you know, photo op areas that can be for yourself or for your dolls, like the little little scenes where you can put your doll and take photos. Um, I know my friends, I've been sitting with the same people when I go to the Barbie convention every every year. And we have a we have a whole we have a whole thing where we 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 give gifts. So like everybody gives table gifts. Um, so like you know like every every June I'm like madly making nine different things to give to my to my table mates um you know and and so our our table hosts are very elaborate they give us you know cds with music mixes and outfits and dolls and this year we had a whole little side convention just for our table and we made a diner setup and you know we we all converged upon our little diner setup and took lots of pictures and um, gave special gifts that were diner related for our, our, you know, fried chicken diner setup. So it was, it was fun. It sounds fun. And it sounds like a great way to make friends. It is. It <laughs> is. I, I, I encourage everybody to have adult, adult friends that like something goofy that you also like. As a busy doctor with a stressful career, it's a way to play and and one hundred percent yes, right. Like everybody needs to blow off steam, and so you know sometimes changing Barbie outfits is is very therapeutic. <laughs> and you've been going for many years. I have, yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Tess. I, I think COVID hit the pediatric world particularly hard is it can we all kind of have a sigh of relief as we head into schools having started and other schools about to start with COVID do you think overall uh no I know no everybody's about to go back and get exposed to all the germs that they always get exposed to at school including COVID so you know I think that (laughs) I don't know I don't I don't have a sigh of relief but I you know, maybe it's a sigh of resignation, but um, yeah, you know, I I think that we're gonna this this virus is here. It's here to stay. You know, is it is it just becoming like all the other viruses and like flu virus maybe? Uh, and um, and so I think that we'll just have to be be ready for it. And I think working on our you know maintaining good practices to to try to prevent ourselves from getting infected with any virus, including this virus, um, as well as not spreading it, but also knowing that sometimes you get a virus. Flu shots should be coming out um, in the next month or so. And and so I think it is a good opportunity to, to do the sort of winter, to get ahead of the winter virus season by vaccinating everybody. And encourage to get that as soon as possible. Absolutely. Dr. Tess Barton, thank you so much for all that you do for children and for all of us. And thank you for being here today on Pediatrics Now. Thanks for having me. 
We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Pediatrics Now. Click on the link for free credit if you're a practitioner. You can also email us with questions or episode ideas. That address is pediatricsnow at uthscsa.edu. We release a new episode every Friday. I'm Holly Wayment. I hope you can join us for our next episode. Thanks for listening.